My name is Patrick Francis Waters, but you can call me Patrick Amun-Ra. I am, amongst other things, an occult scientist and Egyptian philosopher. This channel and podcast, known as Pharaoh Philosophy, will be my new outlet for discussing my viewpoints on life, my viewpoints on the occult, and other things just in general. The system that I have devised is contained in a book called the Book of Stars. And this book expounds the system that I have created called Oriental Egyptian Shamanistic Occultism. The first step in talking about this is step zero, and that's this episode, episode zero, discussing who I am and where I come from. So I'll just get right into it. So I was adopted at the age of six weeks old, and uh, I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. My adoptive mother was a Black Panther, and my adoptive father was a hippie from Berkeley, uh, from a well-to-do family on the East Coast with a lot of background in Ivy League education. Uh, the two decided lovingly to adopt a child, and while on vacation in New Orleans, my mother recounts that she heard an ad on the radio that they were just giving babies away. So she called the phone number, and here I am. I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, in particular a small city called San Leandro. And it was during that childhood, which was a great, great childhood, that I was actually exposed to a variety of spiritual uh, inclinations and systems. Uh, my parents were in a massive amount of debt and needed to work, and so uh, they asked their co-workers and got in contact with some people called Jehovah's Witnesses. Now, uh, first, at first interaction, these people were nice, they were kind, they seemed balanced and centered, and my parents, having to work 12 to 14 hours a day apiece just to pay down this massive debt they incurred, um... You know, they were looking for help, and they wanted help from someone who they could see, on the outside at least, was stable and sane and could provide a safe environment for me since I was going to be there six days a week. Um, and so they did, and it was great, I'll admit. Um, there was no abuse, and there was no uh, harm or anything like that, thankfully, um, as a result of being raised on both sides of the fence, if you will. I grew up celebrating Christmas and my birthday and um, any other holiday you could imagine with no background supplied to it. Just simply do this because everyone else does. And I would then go to my babysitters who were Jehovah's Witnesses who would then do the exact opposite. And we didn't celebrate anything over there except their wedding anniversary. And they would shower me with gifts throughout the year. And the other thing was, if I ever had a question, they would answer it no matter what question I had. Um, I would ask my parents things, and they would dismiss me. I would ask teachers. Um, the church was a congregationalist church that my mom had me go to when um, I was, you know, in my youth. And I'd ask the pastor things, and she would say things like, it doesn't really matter at the end of the day what you believe, as long as you're here every Sunday doing whatever and giving money. So it was strange um, because I was curious. I wanted to know why we were doing what we were doing. I wanted to know why anyone did what they did. And why does everyone show up for Easter? Why does everyone show up for Christmas? Why, why do I recognize my day of birth as a special day separate from any others? And no one had any answers, except for my babysitters. They always had an answer. And it always came from their Bible, published by the Watchtower Bible and Tract Society, with very uh, great reluctance to look at any other translation, which is important. And so... Um, you know, I lived on both sides of the fence. I grew up um, dealing with issues of race, um, which is will be a separate episode that I'll talk about, which I'm sure everyone's going to love. 
Um, but when I turned 15, um, I felt like I had to make a decision. I felt like at that point I'd seen enough and I'd experienced enough to say, you know, like most teenagers do, that um, I need to make a decision about my life going forward. And um, I felt I'd seen enough evidence to start investigating Jehovah's Witnesses on a serious level. And so um, I broke away spiritually from my parents and I went and sat down with kids at school. I started there because, you know, peers, who else am I going to talk to? And so I'd, I sought out kids that had uh, more Buddhist or had Buddhist parents and I would talk to them and ask them about it. And I um, tried that for a little while. I did the same thing with Catholics, um, Protestants. I tried uh, Presbyterianism. Yeah, Lutheranism, uh, Methodism, I tried those. Um, I went meaning when I now when I say try, I mean I went to the services, I spoke to the officials there, and I spoke to parishioners there. Um, between the ages of 15 and 18, I did all of this, and because I wanted to see who was right in my eyes, that's what I had to do um, in order to do that. Uh, we had a presentation from an imam at our school, and we also had a presentation from another uh, wonderful Muslim woman who came and expounded the five pillars and talked about uh, praying uh, throughout the day and fasting during Ramadan and things like that. So I really got um, enamored with Islam for a little while because of the uh, peace I would see of the people. Uh, my cousins in on the East Coast in Connecticut um, were practicing uh, Jews, and um, so I got to go to uh, bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs. I got to go to Shabbos and it was exciting. And, you know, to see happy people being happy together spiritually for spiritual reasons, working towards a common goal. It was great. I'd, I'd love seeing it. And, um, I tried paganism. Um, I tried to be a witch, you know, for a little while, I got a spell book from hot topic, um, tried some things from there, tried to talk to people about paganism, but it was really, that was much more difficult. I tried talking to Jains, Jainism. I talked to a few Baha'is, um, some Hindus, um, communists. I, of course, went through the, you know, <laughs> inescapable youth infatuation with communism and socialism and Karl Marx. And, you know, I p played around with philosophy with Nietzsche and Plato and understanding the Academy, Plato's Republic, uh, Cicero, you know, Marcus Aurelius. I got down on all of that because I wanted to know why people did what they did. Why did they go to war for something that they believed in? And then juxtapose all of that with Mao's China, where he, <laughs> the great leap forward, 65 million dead or so about no God in sight. How did he do that? How did he do that? You know, I wanted to know. So I asked and I probed and um, everything sort of came to a head on my 18th birthday. Some friends of mine took me out um, to party, even though I didn't want to. But, you know, they were my friends and they were happy. And I didn't want to say that I didn't want to deny them. So I went with them and had an amazing drug fueled night. Um, <laughs> you know, we picked up a crackhead in East Oakland and um, took him to the alphabets. It was like, what, 95th and D or something like that. Um, you know, the place where the streetlights don't work and they don't come back and repair them. Uh, you know, we went there and we could have easily been robbed, murdered, anything could have happened to us. But our friend Blue, we gave him money and he came back with crack. <laughs> That's what happened. And um, we proceeded to roll some chewies. We picked up our friend, our other uh, friends. Um, I took some ecstasy, started playing with a knife, we started doing cocaine, uh, started smoking weed, doing that, just everything. And our friend was driving us across town. When this um, this cop pulled us over because uh, uh, my friend went to turn left in a left turn lane, but she changed her mind and backed up to go straight. Cops decided that was illegal. So he pulled us over. Um, the first thing he did was swear at us. Now, when I was a kid, you know, I was like, I just turned 18 at this time and I'd never heard a cop swear. And so that kind of freaked me out. And that put me in a really odd position to 
to to see that because I said, oh, my God, I just turned 18. I'm going to jail. I'm going to jail for the rest of my life. We had cocaine. We had weapons. We had crack. Um, we had everything. Everything. And so I said, we're going to jail. Holy shit. And so the only thing that I could uh, think about in my mind, the only two words that would come to me were Jehovah, no. Jehovah, no. And so I just went over and over and over in my mind. That's all I could say. Jehovah, no. Jehovah, no. Over and over and over again. And so I did. And um, the cop brought his dog out. Um, the dog went into the car. The dog was in the front seat, back seat, everywhere. He turned all of our, the cops searched us one by one, except for the girl. Um, turned our pockets inside out, stuck his fingers everywhere, everything. And the only thought in my mind as I was rolling on ecstasy, cocaine, crack, and um, cannabis was Jehovah No. That's all I could think about. And it's think about, I just threw away my life. I'm about to go to college. Not true. I'm about to, um, you know, make all these other decisions. And I'm gone because I wanted to hang out with my friends one night. Oh, Jehovah's Witnesses were right. I celebrated my birthday and I almost went to jail. So um, the cop finishes up. He calls some of his buddies. Two more show up. They talk by themselves away from the original cop. They show up, go over here and talk by themselves. Then they take him aside and talk to him. Then one of them comes over, looks at us, and picks me and says, you. I want to talk to you. So he pulls me aside and says, hey, look, we grew up in San Leandro. We know it's boring as hell here. We know there's nothing to do. And that cop over there who pulled you over, he thinks he's Columbo or some kind of super cop. So he's looking for some great legendary drug dealer of East Oakland that doesn't exist. So... He pulled you over thinking you were involved in that somehow. And we can tell after a thorough search, you're not. You're just regular kids out having a good time. So whoever is the most sober of you, just go ahead and drive home. You guys have a good rest of your night. Sorry for the inconvenience. That's what happened. We went home stunned because as soon as we got back in the car, all our paraphernalia was there. All our drugs were there. That dog was in the car, in the front seat and the back seat. And everything was left there. My friend, who was a drug dealer, was like, dude, he put his hand in my pocket. He touched the rocks in my pocket and didn't do nothing about it. He was a little funny. But that's what happened. And so that moment, that night, I said, wow, wow, this is my moment. God loves me. He kept me out of jail. And not just any God. I didn't pray to Buddha. I didn't pray to Allah. I didn't pray to Ahu Mazda or Krishna or Vishnu. I didn't pray to the Baha'i God. I didn't pray to anyone except for the God that the Jehovah's Witnesses told me about. And when I called on him in my absolute hour of need, what happened? I was freed. A miracle in my eyes at that time. So I said, I now have an onus. I now owe it to this God that I called upon I owe him service. And if calling on him delivered me from this, then everything about their philosophy must be right, which means, oh, Armageddon's coming. The world's ending at any minute now. So you know what? I'm not going to contest these letters I got from Cal State Long Beach, Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, and other colleges saying they couldn't read my transcripts. They had no problem taking other kids from my graduating class. I know more than a dozen who went to Long Beach and Cal Poly, respectively, with the exact same transcripts and lower GPAs than I had. But they got accepted right away. But for me, they said it was impossible to read my transcripts. It didn't look like I took any classes, let alone enough classes. And by their standards, I didn't graduate. 
Never mind the diploma and the 3.8 GPA and other things that I had. No, no, no. Never mind all of that. Never mind any of that. It was they couldn't read my transcripts. So I took that as a sign from God that I wasn't supposed to go to college. And so I went to culinary school instead. Um, <laughs> that, that, how I ended up there is a whole other story, which is fun. But um, I went to culinary school. Um, I graduated with honors and became a chef. And um, in two years, I went from cleaning regions to the executive chef of a hotel. It was great. I enjoyed it. I had a great time. But then uh, 80 hours a week for 40 grand a year just was not good math, especially in 2007, 2008, when um, Obama's recession decided to take place. So then um, I, after that, I moved on. I went back to school. I went to another school that's not around anymore. I went to Heald and got my um, you know bachelor's in... Um, applied sciences for IT, for network security and things like that. And so I became an IT guy um, after that. And that's been sort of my bread and butter for the last 10 years is been do, being an IT guy and um, trying to be a Jehovah's Witness. And then it wasn't until, uh, you know, we, we changed congregations, I believe, in 2010, 2011. Um, after we um, got reports, uh, a man, uh, a Jehovah's Witness, longtime Jehovah's Witness, former elder, um, he couldn't be an elder anymore because of alcohol and he kept touching kids. That's a whole thing in Jehovah's Witnesses, blue envelopes. The Australian government opened a thing into it. The Australian Royal Commission. Go read about that. It's something. There's something there. And so we called uh, to report him and an elder showed up at our house, not the police. So um, we left congregation. We changed congregations. We thought it was just localized to that congregation, but it wasn't. And the congregation we went to was actually one of um, a nest of white supremacy, uh, very carefully hidden amongst, um, you know, token people of color in the congregation. And so we stepped into that nest of white supremacy and were treated like garbage. Um, in 2016, I herniated three discs in my back and um, no, they didn't believe me. They thought I was making it up. Um, and we also discovered later that year that my son had mega ureters. In addition to my wife, too, a month later, we found out she they both had mega ureters and they both required um, complete open surgery. Um, they had to have their ureters um, resections and connected to their bladder in a different way. So while I was paralyzed, my daughter was four. My wife was um, had her stomach cut open and her kidneys resections. And same thing with uh, my son. All in one year. And the entire time, the Jehovah's Witnesses said that we were lying, that we were making it up, that Sage, my wife, was getting uh, liposuction, that we were using our son to get the sympathy of the congregation, and that I was just lazy. None of them came to visit us in the hospital. None of them did anything for us other than accuse and laugh. And when they saw me trying to walk with a cane or in a wheelchair... They just scoffed and shook their heads and said that we'd clearly lost the approval of God and Christ because we were in such a bad way. Um, you know, that was beyond devastating. But because of that police car episode, I hung in there. That's if you ever wanted to know why I stayed a Jehovah's Witness for so long. That's why. Because of that incident with the police car. How could I explain that? How could I reason that away? You know, um, at that time in my life is what I would say, if you ask me that. And so then um, we come to find out, due to the Australian Royal Commission, that Jehovah's Witnesses actually have a secret handbook that they will lie to your face about, number one. 
Um, but it's out there because it was submitted as official evidence from the governing body of Jehovah's Witnesses. So if a Jehovah's Witness, if you confront them and say, what's the deal with shepherd the flock of God? And they say, oh, that's not real. They're lying. Because you can go to the Australian Royal Commission, real government, not a private funded thing. This is a real government. And oh, it's persecution. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, because Jehovah's Witnesses do what? That the Catholic Church doesn't do. If they're not going after the Catholic Church the way, you know, like in the same way, what, what are you talking about? Or any other church? It just doesn't make any sense. There's really something there. Sorry, hate to break it to you. <laughs> Jehovah's Witnesses are scumbags. That's how it is. And uh, liars, blue envelopes, look it up, blue envelopes, shepherd the flock of God. So I discovered this book and I said, wait a minute, what is that? And I only discovered this book after looking into the pioneer handbook. So if you're a Jehovah's Witness and you're a full-time evangelizer, you're called a pioneer. And they have special pioneer class, which only pioneers can go to. And they have special meetings that only pioneers are allowed in. Why? Well, it's because they're spies. In the pioneer handbook, it gives instructions on how to befriend people in the congregation specifically so that you can gain their trust so you can get information from them which you then feed back to the elders which is then used to amongst the elders wives to control and sow discord amongst the congregation it's all in these books you don't believe me go get them i'll put the link somewhere right because <laughs> i have them i put it on my facebook so I discovered that. I discovered this book. I read the book cover to cover, the one that was officially submitted to the Australian government as official um, evidence submitted under oath. <laughs> I got that version and I read that and I saw every bit of treatment, everything that was ever said to us by an elder, every method of treatment, the behavior, how they directed us, what they said to us, how they, what they did with us. It's all outlined in that book. It's all outlined in that book. And the first thing that they say on the first page is if you're a woman, you're not even allowed to know this book exists. You're not allowed to touch it. You're not allowed to see it. It says if you're a, a brother, if you're a man who's been entrusted with this book, you have to keep it under lock and key at all times because it's their playbook. They don't use the Bible. They use shepherd the flock of God. Go ask them. They'll lie to you. But find this book and you can challenge them and you can compete with them because that's what we did. When I saw in the book that it outlines to deny, uh, if a woman decries rape, it says to do everything and anything you can to discredit her. It says to do anything and everything you can to assume that she's lying and assume that she's wrong. If anyone reports molestation, there has to be two witnesses to the molestation. Not just that, they're guided again to discredit the victim to rake them over the coals and do everything in their power to protect the man who assaulted them. And it's all outlined in that book. It's all right there. So when I saw that, I almost threw up because I said, I can't believe I've been a part of this. I can't believe that they would do this for so long. That there are genuine people out there who think that they were helping. You know, that was, that was me and my wife's problem. We were the only, some of the only two people who believed what the Watchtower said from top to bottom, without any question or suspicion. As we watch people act strange around us and laugh at us, call me smart stupid to my face. How could I be so smart? I'm so smart I can publish 12 books. I can create a new version of football and a board game. I have released two musical albums this year and an EP in addition to the four EPs and other albums that I've released. I can do all of that, but I can't tell when someone's looking me in the face and lying to me. Because I believed them, because of that goddamn police car. 
So I read that book. I saw it was real. I saw many other people have been hurt by it. And I said, I can't just sit here and do nothing about it. So I made a cliff notes about it. I wrote a 17 page letter of uh, disassociation and I posted it on Facebook. This came, of course, after um, at a congregation gathering where, again, remember, they didn't never believe that I was paralyzed. So when I showed up with a back brace, they patted me down because they thought I had a gun. I've never owned a gun, never fought, a, shot, uh, fired a gun. Nothing. But they felt entitled to seclude me, to mo- relocate the entire congregation at this picnic. Surround me with tall, bald, skinhead white guys who then patted me down in front of 120 people because they didn't believe that I was ever injured. So I posted that letter on Facebook. You can go look it up my Facebook page, Patrick Francis Waters. That 17-page letter is still there um, because those people need to know what they did. And they should be held accountable for it. But, you know, what can really be done? They're a very large and powerful organization with a lot of deep ties Um, you know, so don't go poking a bear or nothing like that. But Jehovah's witnesses are scumbags. They're terrifying. Um, they're like, every single one of them is a liar. And, um, you know, for 15 years, I gave my life to them every second, every minute of my day, believing and working and doing, um, while they laughed at me because I couldn't see that it was bullshit and they knew, they knew it the entire time. So, um, I ended that portion of my life in October 2018. I then entered what um, Miguel de Molinos would call a period of spiritual dryness, where I didn't, I believed in nothing. After 15 years of intense belief and practice and evangelizing, I, I never placed a single magazine, by the way, never conducted a single Bible study either. <laughs> um, I guess I'm just that bad of a salesman. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so... I left, I wrote that letter, I left, I emancipated myself and my family, I got us out of there before the kids were ever touched or anything, thank God, the gods or whatever you believe in. Um, I'm so grateful that I got my family out of that awful, awful situation with those terrible, terrible people. And um, (laughs) here I am. After the spiritual dryness, I said, there's got to be, there has to be more to life and my life has to mean something. The lives of my children mean something and, you know, you can argue for whatever and say, well, it means what you make it mean and all that kind of stuff. And that's true, too. That is very true. And so I took a step and said, I'm going to make it mean something. And um, I happened upon magic with a K um, in about September 2019 is when I discovered that. Um, I dove full into what's called Big Blue, Aleister Crowley's book. Why? Because after living 15 years of people talking about you and no one talking to you, I got tired of hearing about the most wickedest man in the world and all this, who the black magician and all this other terrible stuff. And I decided I want to hear what Aleister Crowley has to say for himself. I don't care what anyone else says about him. What does he say? So I read his words and soon after I found I was reading my own thoughts. Thoughts that had taken me 15 years of uh, self-denial, unconscious masochism, other things like that while being a fully devoted Christian uh, and shunning and scoffing at every other religion. You know, I had arrived at certain thoughts during that time period that I didn't know what to do with. Um, And they were very, uh, you know, what people would consider transcendent and things like that, enlightenment type stuff. 
And I didn't know what to do with it because, you know, I was waiting for the world to end. I was waiting for God to come and wash away the sins and make me perfect, fix all my, wave his wand and uh, fix everyone's problems, you know? Um, and so I'd, I'd have these thoughts and I'd write them down and they'd sit in a notebook. I'd, you know, I'd have for like 10 years and wouldn't do anything with it. And then I picked up magic and I picked up the equinox and I picked up other books and I said, oh my gods, this is me. These are my thoughts. I had this thought 10 years ago. I wrote this down 12 years ago. I wrote this down five years ago. And just seeing it so concise and so plain the through uh, the rigors of academia when I was in high school and was taking AP classes and was challenging, my, challenging myself academically and seeing the beauty of the beauty and the limitations of academic science being filled in by this um, comprehensive viewpoint of spirituality, I forged my own. I did exactly what Alistair Crowley says to do. Don't copy me, do your own damn thing. And that's exactly what I did. I decided to not copy Alistair Crowley and I decided to make my own spirituality and build my own magic from the Golden Dawn, from Thelema, from uh, Hinduism, from Shinto as my main backbone. That's a whole nother thing that I'll do a whole nother series of episodes on is who am I on the inside, right? How did I get here is what this is, episode zero. Because in the tarot, the fool is zero, the source of all. And I'm sure I look quite foolish to more than a few of you. But that's okay. So, um, that's how I'm here. That's how I got here. I have uh, created my own tarot deck, Jafixby. Jafixby, I'll do a video on this too. That came to me in a vision 17 years ago. Um, but here it is now. This is my map of the universe. And um, I sell it because I don't believe in fortune telling and palm reading and things like that. But I do believe that this, the tarot system is a working map of the universe. And I designed, I designed this deck to be frighteningly accurate. And I believe I pulled it off. So... Um, Using this map of the universe and other rituals that um, I've taken from the Golden Dawn, from Crowley, from others that I've adapted into my own, I'm, a I'm able to uh, seize control of myself and to um, direct myself in the best way possible. I've directed myself to this position. And I'm only uh, really just beginning. Um, I'm starting this group, the OASO. Um, looking to get that off the ground. I'm doing work with um, as I'm doing work with other uh, academic professionals, getting ready to tr uh, deeply investigate um, the use of psychedelics in spirituality and magic, but also in therapy from an academic standpoint. I've got like a up on the shelf here a nice little volume of books on how LSD, mescaline, MDMA, <laughs> excuse me, and um, psilocybin all play a role in healing the mind from PTSD and from other things, but also in discovering who you really are and um, positioning yourself to be the best version of yourself. And um, what is called psychedelics, what I call PLIPS, P-L-Y-P-S, I'll expand upon that later too, um, how those are integral and essential to human life and um, to joy which is, you know, what I believe in. After all of that, after everything I've mentioned, two kids, um, you know, so many jobs, up and down, life, everything, I've come to believe that the meaning of life is the unselfish pursuit of joy. And so um, I seek joy unselfishly, and I seek joy in others, and I want to have, I want to help others attain that joy 
experience the joy um, that, of that unselfishness and things like that can bring. Um, and so that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm here. Um, I've got books. I've got a board game. I've got music. I've got all kinds of stuff that I've made that I'm looking forward to sharing with you and to sharing with everyone. Um, I'm looking forward to the new website, to just new everything, to what the OASO, Oriental Egyptian Shamanistic Occultism, can bring to the world. And so that's where I am. Um, so after all of that, um, you know, I said, wait a minute, I'm adopted. <laughs> I forgot about I forgot about that. I'm adopted. And uh, I went and got my DNA tested. And it turns out that I am, uh, my father was Egyptian um, for as far back as DNA can be traced. And Northern Egypt, to be, uh, to be exact, by the Nile Delta is where my father's DNA starts and ends. There's no expansion or movement or anything. Um, so native Egyptian for as back as about six to 7,000 years ago. My mother's DNA starts in Syria, and it weaves its way through Russia, Sweden, and England before finally settling in Aboriginal Australia. So I am an Egyptian Aboriginal. I've got two of the oldest bloodlines, continuous bloodlines in my veins, um, it's, and it's fascinating. And, um, and what's really interesting about that is I've always felt a kinship with England, felt a kin kinship with Russia, Russians, and... Um, people from the Middle East and things like that, but my whole life I was raised to be black. And that's a whole nother episode that I can't wait to dive into. Um, but I'm Egyptian, um, and here's out to say some controversial things now. I don't identify as black, and I don't identify as African. <laughs> Why? Well, because of the word chem. K-E-M. K-H-E-M. I apologize. K-H-E-M. Chem. Uh, chem is the demotic, ancient, pre-African name for Egypt. We are people of the Nile. We come from the Nile. Any darkness in our skin comes from the soil that is in the rich Nile Delta. Africa and that word and that concept is a European idea. And while I am primarily European, thanks to my mom, <laughs> um, I still reject that notion. I am from Egypt. Chem. The word alchemy. Alchemy. Is all things pertaining to Egypt. Alchemy is Egyptian philosophy, Egyptian science, Egyptian magic, Egyptian royalty, Egyptian everything. So as an actual alchemist in the magical sense and a physical alchemist in the uh, genetic sense, I am Egyptian. I am Aboriginal. I am an Englishman. I'm a Swede. I'm a Russian. And I'm Syrian. I feel connections to all these and I've seen connections to all these. And I continue to live them. That's who I am. And that's who I'll always be. And I look forward to going in-depth on race and my experience with race um, in another episode. But for right now, I want to thank you for listening. I want to thank you for watching. I want to thank you for hearing me get this out of the way. The first video, episode zero, on who I am and where I come from. I'll, of course, expand upon this in the coming days and weeks and things like that. And I'll begin um, by doing tarot readings, daily tarot readings. And the methods I use will vary, but they'll all have their exact purpose, and I'll explain all of it. All right? Um, so again, thank you for tuning in, and welcome to our Amplified Earth.